Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80, if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May our deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, Establish the work of our hands. And the second reading is from the book of James, chapter 4, which can be found on page 1215. James, chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 13. Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting 
is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, that is indeed exactly uh, what we long for tonight, that you would speak to us. Uh, We praise you that you delight to do that. Uh, We praise you that the word you speak is a forever word, a word for yesterday, today and forever. Uh, We praise you that your word is faithful. Uh, We praise you as we have sung tonight that here is a word that restores our soul, a word that uh, opens our eyes to our blindness to our own sin, a word that can lead us. And so, Father, do all of this and all you have promised to do in speaking to us. Uh, Only, Father, before you speak, uh, make us humble, uh, humble and obedient to this word. We pray this for your glory's sake. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, it's worth uh, turning uh, back into uh, the book of James uh, that was read for us just before, page 1215. Uh, in the Church Bibles. James, as we continue our journey uh, through this book, we're up to chapter 4 and uh, verse uh, 13, uh, page 1215. The name of the village is uh, Raven's Car, a tiny village that uh, barely registers as a dot on the northeast coastline of Yorkshire. Uh, But just over 100 years, this tiny little dot had a big dream. A Victorian businessman in the area had that dream. Their plan was to turn this tiny village into a thriving beachside resort to rival any in the United Kingdom. The Bournemouth of the North was their dream. So they planned big. They aimed to sell some 1,500 plots of land for the throbbing population that would surge into the resort and all the tourists that would swarm in afterwards. They built streets in anticipation for this, uh, space uh, near the coast for beachside hotels. Uh, They even built a working train station. Pleasure beaches were dreamed of, all the plans were in place, catalogues printed, guidebooks, uh, brochures, you name it. But no one came. Uh, The investors came and visited, but uh, went away just as quickly as they had arrived. And today, the reasons these bold plans uh, failed are obvious. Uh, Constant sea frets blocking any view of the coastline. Uh, Sheer and enormous cliff faces that greet you with, well, no beach at the bottom. Now, this plan for a glorious tomorrow for Raven's Car vanished just as quickly as it had arrived. And with it, uh, the boneheaded company that had come up with the plan in the first place. Let me ask you, have you made plans like that in your life? Are you a good planner or a bad planner? Are you a a details person? Do the details matter for you as you plan? I suspect that whoever we are, we are all planners. Some of us plan well in advance and want all the steps in place. Some of us are more last-minute planners. And some of us even plan after the fact. But all of us uh, long to know the direction of travel that our life is going to take and long to control it as much as we can, Uh, both in the sort of the minute details of what will I have for dinner tonight, and then in the big things, we make plans. 
And we've been wired up to do that. We've been wired up to look ahead to the future, to consider the future. And tonight, as we continue our journey through James, he is going to show us the difference between wise planning and foolish planning. As we begin uh, to look at that together, let me uh, recap what we've seen uh, as we've gone through this letter. Uh, Those of uh, you who have been here as we've gone along will remember that uh, this little letter is written to Christians that have been scattered all throughout the the nations around Jerusalem, Uh, being called to persevere in faith. They've undergone persecution, have been forced to flee. Uh, They're called now to keep going by faith so that they may be, uh, we saw it back in 1 verse 4, mature, complete, lacking nothing. Now, James has been teaching us as we've gone along uh, both the, the how and the what of that, how to persevere by faith and what it looks like. And how has been quite simple, hasn't it? By being doers of the word our God speaks to us, being those who are humble enough to heed the wisdom of heaven. And tonight we see another aspect of what that will look like with regard to our planning for tomorrow. Now, what James is going to do for us tonight is quite simple. He will, first of all, expose our plans that we make for tomorrow. And then in light of that, he will declare the truth about tomorrow, the reality of tomorrow. And then finally, he will call us to respond to tomorrow again as doers of the word. Well, let's look at each of those. Firstly, uh, our plans for tomorrow. And you see it there in verse 13. Verse 13, he starts with this. Now, listen. I love it. It's as if uh, what God is doing here is he's breaking into the the constant noise of our plans. Again, you imagine the scenario if all the plans we make for our future, all our tomorrows, uh, was recorded together and then played simultaneously, the cacophony of noise that would occur. Well, our God breaks into all those plans and says, hey, listen up. Let me play back to you your plans. I've recorded them. Now, let me tell you uh, also what they sound like to me. Now, firstly, verse 13, the recording of our plans, it's quite simple. Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business and make money. A simple plan and a plan that would have resounded uh, to the first readers. The picture James has is of uh, merchants who would have made their plans to travel around the commercial cities of the area and making money. The aim would to be uh, uh, to be, uh, have enough of these plans be successful that you could make enough uh, money to acquire land for yourself and then live off the wealth that you've generated. And see, the ancient world is not that dissimilar to ours. In verse 13, these plans, I think, seem good, don't they? Sensible plans, uh, detailed plans. Uh, all the details are there. The time, the place, the purpose, make money. But if we've been listening to James as we've gone along, those two words uh, there at the end of the plan, make money, should jolt us. Uh, Given the purpose that we've already seen God has for our lives, uh, an altogether different purpose, maturity, completeness, lacking for nothing. Alongside that, this simple plan, make money, seems, well, all too low a target. (laughs) Is that all you hope to achieve tomorrow? To make money? Now, the nakedness of the selfishly ambitious future plan here is, well, devoid of real ambition. Any alignment to the the plan that the living God has for our lives. 
And so what the Lord does for us next, having played back the recording of our planning, verse 13, he says, let me tell you what that plan sounds like to my ears. You see that there in verse 16. It sounds like, well, a whole lot of hot air. You boast and brag, says our God. Or perhaps uh, more helpfully, the ESV translates it this way, you boast in your arrogance. All such arrogance is evil. And what we thought to begin with was, well, just sensible planning. James helps us to see that it's actually just arrogant hot air. And with this, I think we're back where we've been in uh, recent weeks in this series. Uh, We've seen that in our world, there's two wisdoms at play. A worldly wisdom, which again and again leads to, and we saw it uh, last week, selfish ambition. And then there's the wisdom of heaven that we saw leads to fruitful humility. Well, the plans of verse 13 are heard by our God as the arrogant plans of the selfishly ambitious. Such boastful planning, just like the source from which they come, are evil. They're the sort of plans that, uh, that, as we're about to make the plans, we remove God and his purposes from the equation and then we replace him uh, with our self-exalted view of ourselves and our own plans. To which our God says in this passage, such plans for tomorrow are not only evil, but they're self-deceived. They're just not grasping reality. And so out of grace, our God, in in verse 14, you see it there, he declares to us the the reality of tomorrow, the truth about tomorrow, to sort of wake us up from our dream world. Have a look at it with me, the truth about tomorrow, verse 14. Uh, In this verse, God simply has a statement and a question for us sensible planners, uh, which I think is designed to force us to consider whether our plans are in touch with reality or whether they're sort of Disneyland plans. Now, here's the first of them. Now, verse 14, simply this. When it comes to tomorrow, you don't know. You see, they're why you don't even know what to, will happen tomorrow. And here we see the foolishness of our self-confident plans. They're based on, well, absolutely no knowledge. Guesswork. We've plucked them out of the air. Now here we see the foolishness of such plans. While the word of our God does give a certainty of our ultimate future, uh, that final day when the Lord will return in glory, when his kingdom will be finally and fully established, when there will be no more mourning or crying or pain, we know that day for certain. While that's certain, uh, the details of the tomorrows before that day, well, they're completely uncertain. The truth is, we've no way of knowing about tomorrow. It's not in us. We don't have it in our grasp. And no amount of strategic planning or careful thinking or arranging things will change that reality. Now, this is what James has been calling as we've been going through this letter together, double-minded thinking. We know this truth. We believe God's declaration that he is sovereign, that he is in charge of tomorrow. We know that. We're happy to say it, happy to sing it, happy to stand and declare it in a creed. But at the same time, we buy into worldly wisdom that thinks, you know what, I I really do think I can control at least some aspects of tomorrow. Well, James wants to expose that unhealthy, double-minded faith. He knows that we find it hard to live with uncertainty. But he knows what we do when we find it hard to live. We, we just ignore it. 
We pretend it's different. We live pretending that we do know what will happen, making our plans as if the future is ours to mould, it's in our hands. But when we do that, when tomorrow does come and the unexpected arrives, we're not just surprised by that, well, we can be crushed by it. And I imagine, uh, to some extent, that that was the experience of the first readers of this letter. You remember their experience back in Jerusalem? They'd enjoyed life there as the young new church uh, in relative prosperity, making plans for tomorrow. And I imagine their tomorrow felt quite safe and predictable. They'd head to the temple again. They would worship together. It was going to be great. And tomorrow came and it was all wrong. The persecution hit them. They were forced to flee uh, and flee all they'd planned to do. And now it's as if they sit in some far-flung nation now in the shattered remains of their plans, their carefully crafted plans. I imagine, as James writes, some of them would have been paralysed by how tomorrow had turned out for them. I imagine others would have already been back again pretending that they could command tomorrow and the future and building up the plans again. And when those things didn't work, well, I imagine that's where the sort of issues that we've seen in this letter would have shown themselves. Anger, frustration, favouritism, harsh words, division, slander, as our plans are thwarted. And I reckon tonight we need to see clearly that we're just as inclined to do what they were doing to ignore God's word of truth about tomorrow and make our plans anyway. Do you know a Christian like that? Who've had their plans of tomorrow thwarted? Who's paralysed as a result of it? Doubting God's goodness, growing embittered, angry? Which, of course, shows itself in our words, as we've seen in James. Do you know Christians like that? Well, perhaps that's where you're at right now. That's where I've been, devastated by dashed plans. I imagine many of us have experienced that. You can be crushed by what tomorrow brings, which is sometimes the right response, isn't it? Sometimes what tomorrow brings can pull your whole world out from under you. And I, I don't want to tonight diminish that or pretend that that is okay. No, tomorrows like that should cause us, I think, to yearn for the final tomorrow when those things will be done away with. But, and this is important for us to see tonight, to avoid being someone who is paralysed by what tomorrow brings, by the unexpected, we must come out, I think, from under the delusion that says my plans govern tomorrow, that I can know what it will bring. It's a mistaken view of reality that denies God's word, his clear word to us. How easily we do it. The truth of God's sovereignty becomes almost an annoying background static in our lives as we make our self-empowered plans. Tomorrow I will go to this city or that city and study this course. Tomorrow I'll finish that course and get that dream job. Tomorrow I'll meet her or him and they'll be the one. Tomorrow we'll begin our plan to have children. Tomorrow I'll retire and we'll go to this or that city and spend a year there and enjoy all the work-free tomorrows that stretch out before us. Tomorrow I'll go to the doctor and all will be okay. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, sighs Macbeth. But the living God says, why, you 
don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And those who humbly heed the word of God, the wisdom of heaven, are not to live in a fantasy world. The truth is we do not know. The second thing he says in verse 14 that we must grasp is not a statement but a question. You see it there? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And there you are planning, uh, deciding where you'll be in a year, what you will do and setting about getting there. And God says, stop. Stop for a moment. Listen. What have I told you? What is your life? Now, we, I think, as careful planners, tend to think of our lives in and of themselves, detached from God and his purposes as so significant. We tend to think the world is, well, kind of lucky to have us, and I better plan carefully so that the world can enjoy the full experience of my life. But here comes the uncomfortable needle of God's word to puncture our overinflated sense of significance and longevity. You're a mist, a sea fret. You appear for a little while and then will vanish. And so there it is. The truth that God's word declares about tomorrow, truth we must humbly heed. You don't know about tomorrow, it's beyond you. But you do know the path of your life will be brief. Just a moment from cradle to grave. Like a mist, it's there and uh, you look away for a moment, perhaps busy with life, and you look back again and it's, well, it's already gone. Now, let me say, I reckon whether you're a Christian or not tonight, you know that this is true. This isn't mere religious thought or sort of abstract philosophy. When you study life as it actually is, as we experience it, you see what God's word is declaring here is perfectly true. And so how do we respond? How do we respond to the truth that tomorrow is completely out of our grasp and even the truth that we might not be here tomorrow? Does it lead us to detached fatalism? We sort of shrug our shoulders, what can I do? Or perhaps paralyzing despair as the unexpected hits us. Or even mindless pretense and we just keep making our plans that it's going to be different tomorrow. Or perhaps, and I think this is often the experience after a funeral, the sort of anxious grasping for new experiences. He died so young, but maybe if I can just suck the marrow out of life, I can experience it all. And we're capable of all of that. Um, But the God who does own yesterday, today and tomorrow and forever, he hasn't arranged our ignorance of tomorrow nor the brevity of our life to elicit those sort of responses. They are, I think, the impulses of someone heeding the wisdom from below, not above. Because the wisdom from our Father in heaven calls for an altogether different response. Have a look. You see it there in verse 15. This is how we respond to tomorrow. This is what a wise planner, a doer of the word, ought to say in response to the uncertainty of the future. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But I think it is a radically different approach to life. An approach that submits to and acknowledges that the great reality, the determining principle of our lives is the Lord's will. Humbly heeding the word of God doesn't equal not making plans for tomorrow. This is not about fatalism. 
But you see here, our planning is done completely differently. The Lord's will is what controls my plans. Now, the Lord's will is the reality of life in this world. It is the condition for life to be possible. You know those sort of science shows where they sort of show you just how miraculous it is that there's life on earth, that if the, the, sort of the, the angle of the axis was slightly differently or the sun was a bit closer or a bit further away, life wouldn't be possible and how amazing it's all arranged. Well, here's the overruling condition for life, the Lord's will. Without that, nothing. But, and this is important, verse 15 is not, I don't think, a call as it so often is made in the Christian community to some sort of glib mantra. What I'll do is I'll make my plans and I'll throw the Lord willing at the end of it. I'll throw DV, I'll write those letters and everything will be fine. Or some mindless phrase to tack on the end of a prayer that will make it a, a truly spiritual prayer. Or even a magical phrase, sort of like open sesame, that if I say this, it will force God's hand and he'll have to agree with my plans because I said the Lord's will. No. It is, though, a call to sincerely and humbly see God's control of tomorrow according to his will for us. And wonderfully, as we've gone through this book, we've seen... And while we are clueless about the details of tomorrow, we know full well his plan for us tomorrow. You remember, I must have repeated it a hundred times in this series, that it is that we be mature, complete, lacking nothing, that we be like his son. That's his plan for you tomorrow. And when we sit humbly under the sovereign plan of our God for us, I reckon an extraordinary future opens up for us. And so as we move towards a close, let me give you three, I think, huge implications for our planning from this day forward. Now, here's the first of them. Hearing and heeding God's word of truth about tomorrow frees me to plan humbly. I mean, what else could we be? He owns tomorrow. His purposes prevail, not mine. And thank God, for he, his plans are good. And so I heed I say as I make my plans, you know what? You take the wheel because you know where we're going so you may as well take the wheel. There is a deep humility created by the basic recognition that our plans are conditioned by the reality that if the Lord wills, I will live. I'll only be here tomorrow to do anything if the Lord wills it. Are we humble enough to think that way? And not just pay at lip service, not just sort of say it at the end of a prayer, but to heed that truth and live according to it, not some fantasy. And this isn't for us a call to morbid life. It's the very opposite of that. The Lord's will governs everything and that's something to rejoice in because his will is so good. And so if it is the Lord's will for us to live another day or year or whatever it may be, what we plan to do in that time can only be done as well if he wills. And so I'll make plans humbly. I'll make plans before the God in charge of these things with an open hand, ready for the Lord who is sovereign and good to pick up the map that I've designed for myself, take it out and put another one there altogether. Well, the authenticity of my claim to live by faith in Jesus Christ is proved by my acceptance of his will over my plans and especially when his will goes completely against mine. And so let us plan humbly. Now here's the second implication. Hearing and heeding God's word of truth about tomorrow frees me to plan 
purposefully. Again, as we've seen, uh, the truth of God's sovereignty over tomorrow doesn't lead to fatalism. Now, do you see what happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Uh, the one who is not like us, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the one before whom every knee will bow, the one who is mighty and his plans for us are good and unchanging, unrelenting and forever. His purposes come in and invade our little life. And so all of a sudden in my life that was short and brief and all of those things, nothing is small anymore, nothing neutral, everything matters because it's heading towards his purposes. Because in all things I'll experience, in all my tomorrows, whatever they hold, uh, it is about his purpose for me. And so every moment you and I live as we walk in this world is pregnant with opportunity. Now you don't know the details of tomorrow, don't even try but you do know the plan for tomorrow, that you be mature and complete, lacking nothing. You see, the Lord's will over my life doesn't make me humble and passive. It makes me humble and purposeful. And so I need to be at work realigning my plans with his. I need to measure my plans by his good purpose. And let's be honest, I reckon that sort of planning is harder work, isn't it? It takes thought to apply my plans and see God's plans come in and overrule them. How much easier it is to simply just conform to the plans of those around me. They seem good plans. Well, let's not settle for that. It's not what you were saved for. Jesus came to give you life and life to the full. To settle for the plans that others make is, as we saw in verse 13, small-minded To have as our goal uh, tomorrow making money or or whatever other self-absorbed plan we may have, that is an altogether too puny plan for one who lives by faith. You were meant for so much more. Start planning for it. It's a bit like the picture you see in uh, Luke 5, the the apostle Peter, whose plan for the day is quite simple. I'm going to go out on this little lake and I'm going to fish and I'm going to catch some fish and that will be the day's plan. Well, on this particular day, he goes out with the Lord Jesus and there he is and uh, Jesus says to him, you like fishing? Fishing a good activity? Well, tomorrow we're going to fish for men. That's the sort of difference that we are talking about here. When the purposes of God, the eternal purposes of God crash into our little boat and change our lives forever. And so let us plan purposefully. And finally, uh, let us plan peacefully. As I said before, one of the most common responses I've seen at at funerals that I've either conducted or been at personally is that that moment after the funeral is finished, as we're all gathered together uh, drinking uh, coffee and uh, eating cake and reflecting on uh, the life of the person that we've come to celebrate and how short it was and how they were taken too soon. And the most obvious response that we all come up with is we've got to make the most of it. It sounds so good, but in the end, all it leads to is this sort of anxious fear that I'm not doing all I should do. But knowing God's sovereignty and his will frees me from that desperate treadmill. I'm no longer forever worried I haven't done this or seen that or been there or here or had this experience. Now, I know his plan for me is good. In fact, it's the best plan. And I know he will work at that plan wherever I am, whatever my situation is. And so heeding his will, I can say, be at rest, O my soul. Wherever I am is right where I need to be to be about this plan. 
to humbly heed his word. I don't have to be this or that, achieve some goal to have made it. I I can stay in this current situation and be about this purpose, but I can also change. I'm free. I'm not governed by my will or the will of others, but his will. Especially given that I know that while I don't know about tomorrow, I do know the contours of the final tomorrow. As 1 John 3 puts it, Dear friends, and now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Well, let me conclude. One of the great lines from the movie The Shawshank Redemption is this simple line from the character Red. Get busy living or get busy dying. Those, I think, heeding the call to persevere by faith in Jesus Christ, you know the word of tomorrow, his word of tomorrow. You know his will for you. And so to you, I simply say, get busy living. Plan humbly, plan purposefully, plan at peace. But know this, to hear this word of tomorrow and forget it, push it aside, and chase after some other plan is, verse 17, a sin. It is, in fact, I think, to absolutely miss the whole point of life. And let me say, that is true, even if your plans in this life succeed wildly, beyond your wildest dreams. Truth is, you can nail the A-levels. You can excel at university. You could conquer the sporting world or the business world or the social world. You can be well-liked, well-respected, happily married, have healthy children, live to a ripe old age, have a great retirement, a holiday home at the sea. You can have all of this and more and absolutely miss life. Miss the point altogether. If we fail to heed God's word of purpose, we can have all of this, but God's assessment on this seemingly brilliantly planned life is, do you know what it is? Raven's car. A hollow well-planned failure. But that is not his call to us tonight. We who know his word, we who have been called to be humble before it, let us heed his word of truth, to abandon our fantasy of self-sovereignty, to humbly accept his gracious word of truth that can save us, and to get busy living. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are so kind that you will not let us uh, play our imaginary games at control. Father, thank you that you speak this gracious word to us uh, to show us that you are sovereign and that you are good. Uh, Give us humility before that. Uh, Give us purposefulness before that. And uh, bring our hearts to be at rest in your control. And so, Father, in all of this, we pray that we will not leave this place as those who see your word as as in a mirror and then walk away and forget. Let us be those who heed. We pray this for your glory's sake. Amen.